This morning we are in a passage of scripture that admonishes us not to be ashamed of the gospel, nor of the Apostle Paul, his prisoner. A few weeks ago we considered how we were not to be ashamed of the gospel. Then we moved on to that second thought of not being ashamed of the Apostle Paul in his imprisonment. We saw how that was directly applied to Timothy and how he was not to be ashamed of the Apostle Paul. And that arose out of the fact that there was not a single church in Asia that continued to support the Apostle Paul during his imprisonment. And we noted why that was so singular and significant because one of the churches in in Asia is Ephesus, a very notable church. And uh, Paul says that not one of them uh, continued to uh, serve and uh, to minister to Paul. So this morning, we're going to look at a positive example of one who was not ashamed of the gospel, nor, and specifically this morning, of Paul's imprisonment. The key verse is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. And this morning we're going to be focusing just on verses 15 through 18. But the key verse is verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and now these words, and was not ashamed of my chains. So here is one who was not ashamed of the Apostle Paul's imprisonment. So what can we learn from Onesimus's positive example of not being ashamed of Paul's imprisonment? Well, as we think about Onesiphorus, we don't know very much about him. We don't learn anything from church history. Church history is silent concerning Onesiphorus. We don't find much in the scriptures either. In fact, the only book in which he is mentioned is right here in 2 Timothy. But there are some things revealed to us in 2 Timothy that are helpful for us to know and understand. The first is that Onesiphorus is from Ephesus. If you look at verse 18, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So when Paul was ministering at Ephesus, uh, uh, Onesiphorus was ministering to Paul. The fact that Paul says that no one stood by him from Asia is interesting in light of what we're just told about Onesiphorus. For it tells us in verse 15, you're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. So how do you reconcile the statement that all who were in Asia turned away from Paul, and then he goes right on to say, but here's Onesiphorus, who is from Ephesus, and he has not been ashamed of my chain. I am going to seek to reconcile that later in the message. We also know that Onesiphorus faithfully ministered to Paul while Paul was at Ephesus. For it tells us that uh, he, you know all the service he rendered. That word for know is actually the word to see. You are well aware. You saw it. 
You experienced firsthand all of the ways in which Onesphorus ministered to me while I was at Ephesus. But now, Paul's in Rome. Paul's in prison. Paul's in chains. And Onesphorus continues to minister to Paul while Paul is in prison in Rome. Again, the key verse, verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So Onesphorus is this shining example of a person who is not ashamed of Paul's imprisonment. So what do we learn from this shining example? In what way was he a shining example? First, Onesphorus serves as a shining example of one who is not ashamed of Paul's imprisonment, but rather ministered to Paul during Paul's imprisonment. Serves as a shining example in three ways. First, Onesphorus serves as a shining example because he went out of his way to administer to Paul. Notice verse 17. But, when he arrived in Rome. The but is a word of contrast. And it's drawing a contrast to verse 16. Verse 15. You are well aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. But here is the exception to the rule. Here is someone who was not ashamed. While everyone was fleeing him, in 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10 it says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. While everyone else is getting out of town and leaving Paul, Onesphorus is journeying and traveling to Rome because Paul is there. So he stands in direct opposite to all the others who are fleeing. He's going. Secondly, Onesphorus serves as a shining example because he expended great effort in ministering Paul. It tells us in verse 17 that he, that is Onesphorus, searched for me earnestly. He searched and he searched doggedly. He would not give up. He had a mission to complete. He was going everywhere through the city trying to find the Apostle Paul. It's like a search party. And we have seen some of those search parties in the news recently, even in Puerto Rico. And you, and you see those first responders. And they are searching for survivors. You might have seen that picture of that elementary school that uh, collapsed. And there were people going through, uh, taking stones off, one by one, doggedly, earnestly searching, hoping that they could find a survivor. That's the imagery here, how he is painstakingly searching to find Paul. It was not readily to be discovered. Thirdly, Onesphorus serves as a shining example because he found Paul. The object of Onesphorus' desires were obtained. Notice verse 17. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. The word to find here is the Greek word that comes from Eurisco, and it's the word that we get our Eureka from. When we say Eureka, that's actually this Greek word. I found it. 
And when we think of Eureka, uh, times in which that may be used is, for example, a prospector who is looking for gold. And as he diligently works and searches, trying to find gold and is mining the mind and putting in all the effort and all the work, and all of a sudden, there is that gold vein. He yells, Eureka! I found it! That's the idea here, that Onesphorus is overjoyed. He's been looking and looking and looking, and now he's found him. He's alive. He's there. And he's able to minister to him. Direct opposite of being ashamed, of withdrawing from Paul. He's delighting in Paul, glad that he has found him. Secondly, Onesphorus serves as a shining example of one who is not ashamed of Paul's imprisonment because Onesphorus faithfully ministered to Paul after he found him. He just didn't say, okay, great, he's alive, I've found him, and then go on his way. But uh, he ministered to Paul uh, after he found him. Just like the prospector is going to mine the gold, once he has found it, he's going to minister to Paul having found him. We are told that he repeatedly ministered to Paul in verse 16. It tells us that he often refreshed Paul. And he ministered successfully. For it tells us that he, in fact, did refreshed Paul. One would ask the question, what did he do to refresh Paul? That's the word that's used in all of our major translations. The word is a compound word, which means to revive or breathe new life into. So in some way, he breathed new life into Paul. Now, obviously, in a metaphorical sense, not in a literal sense. But as we use the word, even in English, when we talk about refreshments, we think about them as foodstuffs. And uh, we usually think about them in terms of you know, that's, that's a nicety, that's a pleasantry, and we're going to have refreshments after a get-together or whatever, but the word really means to, to restore, to build up. It, it means you're languishing, you're tired, you're um, growing weary, and you just drink an iced tea and you're refreshed. Or a Hawaiian punch. Remember the old Hawaiian punch commercials and person punches them and says, thanks, I needed that? Well, the uh, idea here is that he is, he is refreshed. Probably, it does have the connotation of physically restoring. You've got to understand in the New Testament era that when a person was put in prison, it's not like today. When a person was put in prison, he was responsible for his own upkeep. He had to pay to be in prison. He had to pay rent to be in prison. He had to supply his own foodstuffs as a prisoner. It wasn't brought to him. It wasn't given to him. Somehow, he had to eat. Now, it's very difficult for a prisoner in the New Testament era to eat without some kind of family support, without the support of friends, without somebody coming and literally bringing foodstuffs to the prisoner to feed him. Onesphorus was playing that role. Onesphorus was repeatedly coming to Paul and providing him what he needed. 
the monies that he needed, the food that he needed. And Paul says, he refreshed me often, often he refreshed me. But what we want to focus on this morning is this rather curious thought, which is this. Onesphorus serves as a shining example of one who is not ashamed of Paul's imprisonment as seen in the blessing that is pronounced on Onesphorus and his family. That's what we want to focus on this morning. The blessing that is pronounced on Onesphorus and his family. It's found in verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus. The blessing is from God. May the Lord grant mercy. He's not uh, calling upon other people to show mercy, but for God to show mercy to Onesphorus' family. The blessing is to come to his household. Notice, to the household of Onesphorus. A household was literally those that lived in the house. <laughs> So it would be family and servants, those that were under the roof, those that were immediately part of Onesphorus' family and servants. But what we want to focus in on is this. The blessing comes in the form of having mercy upon his household. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus. There is an important distinction between grace and mercy. Grace, as you probably well know, the very uh, common definition of grace is unmerited favor. Grace is when you give something to someone and they don't deserve it. And I often use the example, and I use it repeatedly so it stays with you, the grace would be if I decided this morning to distribute after the service is over, if you come through my side, I'll give you a $100 bill. That would be grace. Didn't do anything to deserve it. You uh, didn't work for it. Uh, it is motivated simply by my desire to do something nice for you, and so I give you 100 bucks. That's grace. Mercy, on the other hand, is grace that is shown because of the plight that a person is in. Another good word for mercy would be pity. It is when someone meets the need of another out of a sense of pity, out of a sense of compassion. So the difference would be if I were aware this morning of someone who is in real financial need. They have a huge debt to pay. Or I know that they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Or I realize that their car is broken down and they have a uh, need to get this car back on the road. And so, knowing their need, I give them a hundred bucks. That's mercy. That's pity. That's distinctive from grace. Grace is free, says nothing about their condition, Mercy is motivated because of the plight that the person is in. Why is that important? Well, look at verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy. Okay, may the Lord have compassion. May the Lord look upon the condition that Onesphorus' family is in. 
Here's the interesting part. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. What is the relationship of those two ideas? The word for here in the Greek is not a preposition. I, I talked last week about how the preposition in English for can mean a lot of different things. And one of the things that it can mean is what it means in our passage today, which is because. And that's what is found in the Greek. It's, the, it's, it's, it's actually a conjunctive. It is because. It's the strongest way to express a causal relationship. So there's a direct relationship of cause. Lord, grant mercy to the household of Nephorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So in this causal relationship, the first thing I want you to see is that it is not a meritorious relationship of cause. Okay? It's not a meritorious relationship of cause. In other words, it doesn't say this, verse 16, may the Lord reward the household of Onesphorus. doesn't say that. It doesn't say, may you, because of what Onesphorus did, now reward them. So it's not meritorious. Rather, again, the response is one of mercy or compassion. Have mercy on the household of Nephorus. Why? For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. In other words, the actions of Onesphorus are in some way soliciting God's mercy or pity. Why would Onesphorus' ministering to Paul cause God to have pity on his family? The idea is that somehow Onesphorus' care of Paul brought some level of discomfort or misery to Onesphorus' family. Look with me again at verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but now this, but share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God. This is a statement about sharing in suffering. Don't be ashamed. Conversely, share in the suffering. Don't shrink back, as we heard in Sunday school, but this time, don't shrink back from suffering, but enter into it. So the reason that Onesphorus' family is to be pitied is because somehow they suffered as a result of Onesphorus ministering to Paul. That's why they're to be pitied. Okay? There is some way that harm, discomfort, difficulty came to them as a result of Onesphorus ministering to the Apostle Paul. Now, we're not told exactly what that uh, hardship is. We can take some uh, 
educated guesses. One might be that they, as a family, were ostracized in some way because Onesphorus is going against the church when the church has left the Apostle Paul in the dust. Here is Onesphorus standing up and ministering to Onesphorus and the family, kids, friends, saying, why is your father doing that? Why is your husband doing that? Why is he going against the elders? Why is he not forming, uh, stepping in line? So there could be ostracism. But there are some things that we can say pretty much for sure. For we know, number one, that Onesphorus traveled to Rome, verse 17. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. We know, according to 2 Timothy 4.19, which says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesphorus. So Paul says to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, Greet the household of Onesphorus. You put two and two together, he came alone. And his family remained in Ephesus. Okay? So there was separation. They weren't with their husband. They weren't with their father. They weren't with him. And there's a degree of suffering that's associated with that. There perhaps also was financial hardship that came on the family as a result of Onesphorus ministering to uh, Paul. First, there was the cost of the travel. You know, those are things you, we just don't think about, but think about it for a moment, okay? He had to get from Ephesus to Rome. Uh, traveling is never inexpensive, whether it be in the New Testament era or now. You just think about people that have loved ones that are in the hospital, and they're in other cities, and they have to travel to those, those cities. There are expenses that are associated with travel. Onesphorus has to find a place to stay. He has to find a place where he is going to be put up himself. We are told that he often refreshed Paul that had to have uh, monetary implications. If he was providing food for Paul, if he was providing rent for Paul, if he was in any way meeting those physical needs of Paul, it required some kind of financial involvement. And these expenses were repeated often, for it says often he refreshed me. So I would submit to you that there were financial burdens that came upon the family, and Paul says, may God have pity on the family of Onesphorus because he was ministering to me. Okay? This had implications for his family. In some way, his family suffered. Which is important for us to understand. Application and identifying with God's people and ministering to them can be a hardship to one's family. We can put our families in danger by 
ministering to others who are in prison, others who are being persecuted, by not being ashamed of the gospel. Okay? If we have little children, little children on the mission field, are often placed in places of danger. While it is a hardship, at the same time, it's a source of blessing. The Lord has pity when others do not. Others might not recognize or appreciate the toll that it takes on one family, but the Lord does. Further, that awareness and that pity which comes from the Lord is not future, but present. I'm going to say a lot more about that in my final application. Next. The blessing that will come upon uh, Onesphorus himself. Verse 18. May the Lord grant him, that's Onesphorus, to find mercy from the Lord on that day. The blessing that is referred to is future. The blessing to Onesphorus' household is present. But the blessing to Onesphorus is future. In that day is the day of judgment. Many commentators have taken from this statement that Onesphorus has died. In further support of that idea that Onesphorus has died are the following things. His activity is referred to in the past tense, verse 16. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed. Notice it does not say, for he often refreshes me and is not, and, uh, and is not ashamed. They're in past tense. So it's talking about completed action. Paul is not anticipating any more help from Onesphorus. But there's nothing condemnatory in his failure to continue to help him. All right, there, there is good reason why Onesphorus helped Paul in the past and is not helping him right now. One of those good reasons, obviously, would be if he died. It's kind of hard to help somebody after you die. The greeting at the end of the book, if you look at 2 Timothy 4.19, If, and some have deposited the aspect that Onesphorus left and went back to his family. But if you look at 2 Timothy 4.19, it says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesphorus. It's kind of peculiar that if Onesphorus went back to Ephesus and is living there, that he would not have included Onesphorus in that greeting and just listed the house. So wherever he is, he's probably not in Ephesus. And wherever he is, he's there for good reason. But if Onesphorus has died, it also makes better sense of what Paul states in 2 Timothy 1.15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Take Onesphorus off the scene and there's no one left. If he's died, then what's said in verse 15 is absolute truth. Okay, there's no one, because he was the last one. But look at the nature of the blessing. Verse 18, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know that all the service he rendered to Ephesus. There's a play on words, if you look at verse 18. 
All the translations have this play on words, which is, which is helpful. The play on words is found with the word find. Look at verse 18. May the Lord grant to him to find. Okay, if you mark your Bibles, circle it. Look at verse 17. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and circle the word, found me. Same Greek word, Eurisco, this is the Eureka! I found it! The idea is that on that day, that Onesphorus is going to find Eureka, that blessing of God, which is his mercy. A mercy that Onesphorus never fully realized in this life. He knew hardship, he knew difficulty. His ministering to Paul brought difficulty, brought hardship, okay? If it brought the hardship of leaving his family behind and just pushing on and ministering to, uh, to, to Paul, if it's a financial hardship and difficulty of having to work and raise the money and, and not sending it back home, whatever the case may be, he is desperately himself in need of mercy. While he is showing mercy to others, he himself is devoid of that mercy. Remember, everyone else in Ephesus is against Paul at this point. We looked at the reasons why last Sunday night in our study in the book of Acts. He's a lone ranger. He's getting no support. He's getting no encouragement. He's getting no help. Onesphorus is not serving as an agent of the church. He's not like Epaphroditus. We looked at Epaphroditus in the book of Philippians. And remember, he travels to help Paul while he's in prison. But he's taking with him a gift that comes from the church. The church took together a collection to give to the apostle Paul. And the church sent, authorized Epaphroditus to go and to minister to Paul. That's not the situation here. The church took no collection. The church did not participate. The church is against, and he goes anyway. Okay? But he is in need of mercy. That's why this passage is saying participate in the sufferings of Paul's imprisonment. It's interesting how that suffering is manifested. But the thought is that he will be refreshed by God in like manner except far beyond in the way in which he refreshed the Apostle Paul. All right, so here are the applications and our conclusion. First, there might be many different reasons why we'd be hesitant to identify with the gospel or with those that are suffering as a result of preaching and teaching the gospel. One hesitancy might be the perceived negative effects that such an association might have on my family. Okay? One of the drawbacks of why we might not want to associate with the gospel or with those who are in prison is the toll that it might take on our families. They might be persecuted. They might be ostracized. But let's bring this down to a situation where we live 
a little more commonly. Because <laughs> uh, we don't really suffer a lot for preaching the gospel, nor for identifying with those that do. But let me ask you this. Have you ever been hesitant to get involved because of the time, energy, or resources that it will demand? Have you ever thought, you know, if I say yes to this, I'm already so busy, and my family's going to suffer. I'm not going to have that quality time with my family that I, I really like. If, if I'm going to be taking on this extra responsibility, my family might have to suffer. You know, and, and that's real. That's true. And that suffering may not be great, but I remember my, my dad wore many different hats in the church. He was an elder. And one of the hats that he wore was that he drove the church bus. And uh, so driving the church bus meant that after, actually we had church first, Sunday school second, but it doesn't matter. After Sunday school was over, it meant all the kids would pile in and he'd have to take them home. Well, most times I would ride on the bus with him and help him. But there were times in which I didn't ride on the bus and uh, had to wait for him, okay? No computers back there, no, no handheld devices, uh, no Game Boys, no, no nothing, okay? So it meant for the next hour and a half I would sit in the car <laughs> and look out the window because the parking lot wasn't even paved. I couldn't even bounce a basketball in it. It was gravel. I would look out the window for the next hour and a half. It meant that we never ate lunch before 2.30 on a Sunday afternoon because my dad, it took him that long to do the, the, the uh, bus route and then we lived 45 minutes from church. So he tacked another 45 minutes on before we got home. Not a big deal, but it meant, you know, two hours extra into your day. Okay, there are those realities, okay? It's gonna be more time. Financially, there are commitments that we make. And as a result, there's less money to be able to spend on other things that we might want to do as far as pleasure, as far as entertainment is concerned. Okay, he's, he's deciding that he's going to meet the Apostle Paul's needs. That has direct effect on what resources he has available for his own family. No idea what Onesiphorus did, no idea what his work was, what kind of commitment he had to make to go to Rome and leave his business behind or whatever. All of that would be just pure speculation. I'm just telling you it's real. It's trying to show us he made sacrifice and so Paul is saying, may the Lord have pity on his family. May, may the Lord look at the commitment that he is making and the negative effects that it has upon his family. Energy. You're tired. You're tired. If Onesphorus did die while he was in Rome, think of that. His family wasn't present. Didn't have that opportunity to say goodbye. And you could unpack all those instances. If he went somewhere else in order to minister to Paul instead of going back to Ephesus, again, that has an impact upon the family. All I'm telling you is that in this passage, it's interesting to me 
that in participating in the gospel and in other people's suffering is the implications of the suffering of our own families. These are genuine and real concerns. But I want to point out to you that the passage is not about don't do this. The passage is do this, don't be ashamed, but enter into the sufferings. And one of the things that I'd like to point out to you is that this passage is pronouncing a blessing upon the family. May the Lord bless the household of Onesphorus because he's doing these things. Okay? Because he is doing those things. One of the reasons my dad wore a lot of different hats in the church, and you've heard me say this before, is my church went through a, a huge church split in my very early teenage years. And uh, just about every elder left, just about every person that was gaining, doing responsible things left. And so to keep the thing afloat, my dad had to do a lot of stuff. He taught prayer meeting, he taught Sunday school. He drove the church bus. He was the Sunday school superintendent. I mean, he wore tons of hats because there was nobody else to do it. Yeah, I didn't get to eat till, till 2.30 in the afternoon. And sometimes I was sitting on the church parking lot wishing my dad was getting in the car and we could go. But I'll tell you, that growing up in that household was one of the greatest blessings of my life. I saw commitment. I saw faith. I saw the dedication of laymen. You know, I really, really appreciate the laymen in our congregation. I constantly remind myself that when they're here... They're working a full-time job elsewhere. Okay? And so when the youth group and they're on an all-nighter, those people have been working all day when they go on their all-nighter. I know a lot of people do things and they serve and they pay for it out of their own pocket in order to supply needs and different things. Okay? It was a blessing to see a committed lay person. A lot of the kids I knew whose parents left the church, and you know, not all of them, but a lot of them didn't turn out real well because they ended up not going anywhere. They ended up just being bitter. They just ended up with ill thoughts towards the church and towards God. And the result was that they grew up to be bitter, unbelieving, self-serving individuals. Not everyone, but it was pretty common. There's a blessing to service. There's a blessing to committedness. There is a blessing. Yes, there are hardships. Less there are difficulties. But this passage is Lord bless their family. And it's the Lord who's blessing them. Okay? 
A lot of times, other people don't recognize the commitment. Other people don't see what you're doing. Other people don't understand the toll that it's taking on your family. Other people don't realize the sacrifices that are made. The times in which you plan things, but you can't follow through because now you've got this church responsibility and you say to your family, you go home and say, I'm sorry we were going to do this, but we just can't because I've got to do this. Or, you know, we set this money aside, but now we don't have it. So we can't do it. Whatever. Nobody sees or knows those things. But God does. But God does. We don't know anything at all else about Onesphorus. He's never mentioned again. All we know is Paul says he was not ashamed of my chains. May the Lord bless his family. Here and now. And may the Lord bless Onesphorus in the life to come. Maybe we should have sung a different hymn. But there is joy in serving Jesus. There is a reward. There is his goodness. And quite frankly, yes, it can take a toll on your family. But believe that God knows and understands. And he will watch over and protect and provide for your family. And that example that you're giving is actually a very helpful, positive, good, godly example that will many times result in your children rising up to take your spot and do the very things that you're doing, the very commitment that you're showing. They're taking over those responsibilities, even knowing firsthand what that commitment requires. May the Lord bless us in our service for him. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray your blessing on all those families that are somehow hurting as a result of their faithful service to you. Lord, there, there, there might be families right now that are, that are struggling with time issues of not being able to spend enough time together, of doing projects for other people and projects around their own home not getting done. There might be financial issues where things are tight, but yet people see a need to give to other people who are even in greater need. And so find themselves strapped even more. Lord, there might be just those instances of, of wanting to be together, but yet not having that time because you're ministering to other families, other places, other locales. Oh Lord, help us not to draw back, help us not to hesitate Lord, help us to be responsible. May we not act foolishly or capriciously. May we judiciously think about these things. And Lord, uh, may we be careful in our relationship to our families. But Lord, may we not be so family-centered that we lose sight of what you can do for our families. 
And what a blessedness it is to be serving. And how you use that in their own lives for their spiritual well-being as opposed to their harm. So, Lord, uh, bless us in our service for you. Thank you for Onesiphorus. Thank you for his life. Thank you that he was not ashamed. But he traveled. He went. He found. He searched. He ministered. Thank you, Lord, for the way in which his family supported him in that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.